Formosa Files is sponsored by the Frank C. Chen Cultural Foundation. Frank Chen, Chen Qi Tuan, served as the mayor of Kaohsiung City from 1960 to 1968 and founded the Kaohsiung Medical College. Formosa Files. Thank you for tuning in to Formosa Files. And today we're going to look at the history of baseball in Taiwan. Before that, though, a big thank you to podnews.net for featuring Formosa Files in their excellent daily newsletter about uh, uh, all things uh, podcasty. Pod News, that's P-O-D-N-E-W-S, no capital letters, is an Australian outfit. And we also want to say uh, goodbye to all our Aussie listeners who, after Taiwan, are actually our third biggest audience. Thanks, folks. Now, we do know that Australians aren't the planet's biggest baseball fans. Neither are a lot of other people. But before any non-baseball fans think this episode is going to be a bore, hear us out. And a confession. I am not a fan of the game. And John, you're not either. As an unrepentant colonial, I believe your summertime ball game is uh, cricket. Ah, yes, cricket. The thinking man's baseball. Mm, Yeah, I guess I must not be much of a thinker. I've done my darndest to understand that game for like years and still seems to me like something out of Harry Potter. I don't know. I'm in a minority, however, and I should probably be quiet because it is the second most popular game in the world. 2.5 billion people enjoy that game. But back to today's story. So you might be wondering, why are two non-baseball fans uh, exploring the topic of baseball? Well, the game makes for an interesting lens through which to look at Taiwan's history. It's been the national sport for a century, and it's played a part in shaping Taiwanese identity. Yeah, especially for middle-aged guys who grew up in the 1970s and 80s. A lot of them have very vivid memories of playing and watching baseball. It was a huge deal back then. The game provided some rare causes for celebration in the international arena. Yes, Taiwan's economy had taken off, but the 70s in particular were politically a very difficult time. The claim that the Republic of China represented the real China was becoming increasingly farcical. In July of 1971, following Kissinger's secret visit to China that month, President Nixon announced that he would visit China the following February. In October 1971, the United Nations voted to expel the Chinese nationalist-ruled Taiwan, or in other words, the Republic of China, and they voted to admit the Communists, or uh, the People's Republic of China. At the same time, the Vietnam War is winding down and Taiwan's military importance is reduced. Chiang Kai-shek died in 1975 and with him, the death of a dream. Yeah, to be fair, though, that dream had not been in good health for quite a while, had it? No. uh, President Nixon's trip to China was uh, the layup for uh, switching diplomatic recognition, right, from Taipei to Beijing, as you mentioned. But this was derailed by the Watergate scandal. Uh, The switch would come under President Carter on uh, January 1st, 1979. Right. But a morale booster for the nation came from an unlikely form. It was baseball and actually Little League baseball, to be exact. 
In one of the great sporting runs of all time, from 1971 to 1981, Taiwan's Little Leaguers went unbeaten at the annual championship in the American town of Williamsport. The 12-year-old boys scoring an incredible 31 straight victories. 31 straight victories, eh? Not bad. Uh, so where exactly is Williamsport? It's in the state of Pennsylvania. It's a small city, uh, more like a town, really, a few hours drive west of New York City. And it's a place familiar to a whole generation of Taiwanese who grew up rooting for these schoolboy teams. And in so doing, they helped forge a national identity and unity. Yeah, but we are getting a little ahead of ourselves. We should probably go back to the beginning of this entire baseball story. So baseball is, of course, typically associated with the United States, where it was invented. But for Taiwan, baseball came via Japan. Baseball was introduced to Japan in the 1870s by Americans. It took off there some two decades later when a high school team, a local team of Japanese, defeated a team of resident foreigners. This coincided with Japan's colonization of Taiwan. In the first decade of Japanese rule here, baseball was spread informally by Japanese enthusiasts uh, just playing the game for fun. And it wasn't until 1906 that the first organized game took place. In the 1910s, we see young men establishing clubs based around workplaces, teams representing banks, factories, the railways, so on. And uh, at first it was just Japanese players. But there were some foreigners who came for special games. Part of the early development of the game involved barnstorming teams. Barnstorming, that's traveling from place to place, putting on a show. Yeah, commercial entertainment. These were tours that attracted large crowds and big newspaper coverage. The first all-American team to visit was in 1921, and uh, they won all seven of the games they played here. During the Japanese period of colonial rule, the sport evolved from a Japanese preserve to a deeply embedded part of Taiwanese life. And for the colonial authorities, baseball was a useful means of uh, Japanizing the locals, in particular the troublesome Aborigines. Hmm. Yeah, these Japanese civilizing, uh, if you can call it that, efforts against the Aborigines at that time included a system of reservations and forced resettlement. And resentment at heavy-handed Japanese rule boiled over into the Wushu Rebellion. Sometimes people also call that the Musha Incident. That happened in 1930, and it was the last major uprising against the Japanese. What happened was several hundred Sadiq warriors descended on the village, killing more than 130 Japanese, most of whom were there for an athletics meeting at an elementary school. The Japanese retaliation was swift and brutal and included bombing with mustard gas, arguably the first use of chemical weapons in Asia. Nasty stuff. And following that, resettlement and assimilation was just stepped up by the Japanese. The Wuxia Rebellion and the brutal response to it shocked Japan and Taiwan, destroying the illusion of Japan's seemingly successful and benevolent colonial experiment. Uh, for most of the 1920s had won praise not just in Japan, but around the world as a great example of colonial development. 
And here it is again when baseball, however, would help heal wounds. We enter now the ragtag Kano baseball team from Jai City, where, John, you happen to live not that far away from. So mm-hmm. Kano, that's K-A-N-O, is the abbreviated name for Kagi or mm-hmm. Jai in Chinese, the Kagi Agricultural and Forestry Institute, a school. Yes, a, r- a rather fancy name for a low-status vocational school uh, with high school-aged kids. Uh, it's known as Jai University today. The Kano team was formed in 1928, and just three years later, in 1931, was competing in the prestigious Koshien tournament in Japan. They were defeated in the final, but returned home as superstars and their exploits remain Taiwan's greatest baseball story. Yeah, absolutely. The Kano team heroics, the story of how players from a two-bit school on Japan's colonial fringes defied the odds. The story just completely captured both the Japanese and Taiwanese public imaginations. And uh, not to be offensive, but uh, Jai City back then was um, not what we would think of as like a city today. Yeah, the school had no baseball pedigree, They didn't even have their own baseball field. Daily practice involved a bicycle ride across town to a municipal field. It was not just the team's success and humble status, but it was also the makeup of the team that had an impact. The team comprised teenagers of various ethnic groups. There were Japanese, there were Han Taiwanese, and indigenous people or aboriginals all playing together. This unusual tri-ethnic composition made it a symbol of harmonious assimilation. For the Japanese audience, the Kano team was exotic, and it showed that Japan's colonial project was working. And then there was the tough Japanese coach, Kondo Hyotaro, who took a losing side and whipped them into champions. He's remembered as exemplifying Japanese qualities of strictness, self-sacrifice, and integrity. His training was intense and harsh. You could say it was the Bushido spirit applied to baseball. Harsh, but fair. Those who could handle it were able to win a place on the team, regardless of their ethnicity. And the Kano story, uh, many people in Taiwan will know it because it was made into a 2014 film called Kano, and it became one of the all-time highest grossing domestic films. But it's time to go forward in our story to the arrival of the nationalist Chinese government in 1945. In spite of baseball's unfortunate associations with the Japanese era, at least in the minds of the nationalist Chinese, right? It Mm. suffered only government neglect rather than persecution. Mainlanders much preferred soccer and basketball to baseball, and ROC teams had enjoyed regional success in those sports. So that's where the funding went, soccer and basketball. Baseball lacked prestige in KMT eyes and as such was less suitable for promoting the country. And I guess the American military who were here in big numbers in the 1950s and 60s, they were happy to see their national pastime being played here. And I guess they took that as some sort of expression of love of American culture. So the nationalists or the KMT, they didn't uh, make a big point out of explaining its Japanese origins. Yeah. The official indifference to baseball was arguably a blessing. It was a a golden age of amateur baseball, an area where Taiwanese could freely be themselves. But the sporting divide between mainlanders and Taiwanese would end in 1968 
actually, it was also the turning point for the amateur game. Ah, we're talking about the famous Hongye team, Hongye or Maple Leaf or Red Leaf, an elementary school baseball team named after Hongye, a small village of Bunun Aboriginals in southeastern Taiwan. They scored a 3-0 home series victory over a champion Japanese team, and these victories were an absolute sensation, in part because this was the first student contest between Taiwan and Japan, and also because live television coverage brought an entirely new dimension to baseball games. From then on, the government, previously lukewarm on the sport, began harnessing its popularity and success. Uh, they'd use baseball as a way to promote the Republic of China on the international stage. Now, Eric, baseball, it's an unlikely choice for uh, KMT promotion, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. But, uh, you know, if you think about the time, right, so the Cultural Revolution had just kicked off in China two years earlier in 1966. Mao's mm -hmm. Red Guards were following his instructions to stamp out the four olds. So you had all these teenagers and young people running around destroying uh, Confucius's grave and targeting temples, burning libraries and all this kind of stuff. But in Taiwan that same year, in response, Chiang Kai-shek launched the Chinese cultural renaissance movement, promoting Confucian principles, classic Chinese works, promoting new literary and artworks, uh, building theaters and art galleries, and the National Palace Museum that's now a super big tourist draw in Taipei had, had just opened the previous year. But, you know, you got to go with what's working the best. And at that point, what was working best was baseball. So after the success of the Hongye team, the Taiwanese government started to promote baseball. Yeah, if it's boys with bats and balls bringing glory, then put away your calligraphy and Ming porcelain, start chewing tobacco or beet or nut. <laughs> yes, but that Hongye glory, and this was a taste of things to come, it was based partly on deception, wasn't it? Most of the Maple Leaf team members were over age and they were playing with false names and forged documents. Yep, provided by their coach, school principal and head administrator. When the fraud was uncovered, the authorities handled the prosecution as discreetly as they could. Court proceedings were held at night, and the three defendants were given suspended two-year sentences. So a year after the Maple Leaf victories, Taiwan took part in the Little League Series, an international competition held every year in late summer in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. The Taichung Golden Dragons won the championship, the first of many much-needed boosts to national morale. The next win was in 1971 by the Tainan Giants. This was when interest had built to a fever pitch. And this was the start of that 11-year uh, unbroken run. That 1971 tournament was a huge event back in Taiwan. It was watched by an incredible two-thirds of the island's population. And this is when a television set was still something of a luxury. So this audience, we're talking about like a lot of neighbors visiting other people who have TV sets, you know, people gathering around. It was a communal event. And consider the time difference. Uh, Pennsylvania is 
12 hours behind us. So those uh, afternoon games there, uh, here, they're in the early hours of the morning, something like uh, from 2 to 5 a.m. Hmm. And that was uh, past the bedtime of uh, an aging president, a certain um, Chiang Kai-shek, who reportedly watched the start of the game, but then he went to bed after uh, they, they got off to a bad start at the Tainan Giants. But he was woken up at the end of the ninth inning by his wife, Madam Zhang, with good news. And he was wise enough to realize that, you know, he better make some political capital out of this victory. So he prepared some words for the nation. And he said, I trust that all the compatriots of the nation will be moved and excited by the Giants Little League team in each person's own way to work quickly to retake the mainland and restore glory to the motherland. Hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, these games, uh, with their massive Taiwanese television audience, uh, were an ideal platform for politics, and not only from one side. Pro-Taiwan independence advocates um, in the U.S., they also took advantage of the opportunity. In 1971, a small aircraft flew over Williamsport Stadium during a game. Uh, the plane towing a banner on which was written, Long Live Taiwanese Independence. And adding insult to injury, the Chinese was in simplified characters. The following year, the Taiwanese government was better prepared. I've read that they rented all the commercial planes in the area, so the independence message couldn't get into the air. I love that, putting it into simplified characters. But, of course, supporters can go with simpler options, right? You can hold up banners or wear T-shirts with slogans. And at some Williamsport World Series games, there were violent fights between Taiwan independence activists, these are mostly U.S.-based activists, and KMT loyalists. The fighting was so bad that the local authorities had to bring in police reinforcements. Not exactly a good look for what's an amateur sport and also um, a children's amateur sport. On the positive side, though, even though these two camps were violently opposed, they were cheering for the same Taiwanese team. Good point. Yes. And back in Taiwan, the Williamsport victories did do a lot to integrate Taiwanese and mainlanders into one nation. Um, and baseball kind of pulled the country together. These early Little League baseball victories can be seen as a turning point for a divided country because you had mainlanders and local Taiwanese rooting for the same teams. It's a pity then that this national bonding was built on, what's the word, uh, deception? Okay, cheating. The Taiwanese teams were cheating, right? Uh, but not on the field. It was in the selection and preparation. Yes, Little League Baseball was supposed to be a fun competition based on community teams drawing players from a population of no more than 15,000 people. But Taiwan brought the best players together to form what were in effect regional or even national all-star teams, and they're drawing on populations of millions. Yeah, another rule violation related to practice hours. The Taiwanese kids were practicing baseball full-time, which was not allowed, uh, physically damaging, uh, especially for pitches. And it's also really not in the spirit of kids' sports, you know, but I guess if you're winning, they thought, you know, don't change anything. So after its Little League success, Taiwan soon started attending the next age group LLB championships. That would be ages 13 to 16 in Gary, Indiana, and also the big league, 
ages 16 to 18 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And as with the Little League, these were more like national teams than local ones. And they dominated the competitions year after year. Year after year. John, you mentioned earlier an unbeaten run for the Little Leaguers from 1971 to 1981. So they won every year 11 straight championships? Uh, Yes and no. They were unbeaten, but won nine, not 11 championships. So what, like two missing years? That's right. Taiwan was not allowed to compete in 1975. The LLB administrators were suspicious about Taiwan's domination of the events. And they'd sent a small investigation to Taiwan, uh, but they'd not been able to uncover anything. There was no way, however, that anyone was going to spill the beans, right? (laughs) Right. So they didn't find any proof, but they knew. Instead of banning Taiwan, they banned all foreign teams from competing in 1975. Interesting workaround. And what happened in 1976? Well, in Taiwan, there was a a baseball scandal dubbed the private parts scandal, uh, which we don't need to get into. But I think the Taiwanese team feeling the heat, they didn't form an all-star team and they didn't get past the East Asia qualifier. So they didn't go to Williamsport. John, you said, well, actually, I said you weren't a baseball fan earlier uh, because I know you're not a baseball fan. So how is it that you happen to know so much about the history of Taiwanese baseball? Well, I don't follow the game, so I don't really know much other than from reading a few books. But perhaps one reason is that where I live, Jai County, well, it's the home, the heartland of Taiwan baseball. There's the Kano story from Jai City. And um, also for the Little League Baseball, the local elementary school in the small town where I live, it won the championship in 79 and were runners up in 81. Kids still play baseball here and their parents and grandparents, they still gamble on baseball games. Jay also played a starring role in a 1997 scandal uh, of the professional baseball league. It was a really big scandal that rocked the game. Man, 1997 was really a year for crime in Taiwan. We covered it back in uh, episode nine of season two with the Chen Jingxing and all that horror. Anyway, the Professional Baseball League, CPBL, is the Chinese Professional Baseball League. It was formed in 1989, and the league allowed foreign players into local teams. And the foreign players who came were mostly from America and the Dominican Republic. In 1997, Jai got a new stadium and a new team, the competition's seventh team, the China Trust Wales. Later that same year, a massive gambling, uh, game-fixing scandal was uncovered. It was gambling, mobs, payoffs to throw games. Stars were getting uh, 300,000 NT per game. Jai was by far the worst offender. The entire team being bought off. Uh, don't quote me on this, but I think it was for something like a quarter of a million US dollars for, uh, for one game. Mm. <laughs> you got to love that name. The China Trust Wales. Uh, more seriously, as I recall, uh, players were abducted during that time, including some foreign players. They were beaten or threatened to make sure they played badly, you know, to throw games. And not surprisingly, after all this nonsense, interest in baseball plummeted in Taiwan and all of this cheating really killed the sport. 
fans started calling the CPBL the Cheat People Baseball League. Um, all of this is, you know, very gripping stories, a bit depressing. But there have been bright spots we've not talked about, some great individual stories of, of Taiwanese players succeeding in Japanese and U.S. teams. You've got, uh, just for example, pitcher Jimmy Wong, Wong Jianming, right, with the New York Yankees for a time, and team successes as well. Yeah, uh, Taiwan's national men's baseball team won the silver medal at the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, coming second to Cuba. Uh, that was the first time baseball was an Olympic sport. And Taiwan won the bronze medal in the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics, where baseball was a demonstration sport. The most memorable day in modern baseball history is probably the day of the qualifying games for that 1984 Olympics. In the 1983 Asian Championship, Taiwan's national squad beat South Korea and Japan on the same day to qualify. And both games were televised and basically watched by pretty much every single person in Taiwan. Taiwan bet South Korea with a squeeze bunt in the 11th inning after fast pitcher Guo Taiyuan, relief pitcher from the fourth, he's, he pitched eight shutout innings. Okay, so they beat South Korea. Uh, this win left Taiwan and Japan tied on points and uh, they needed to play a tiebreaker. So after only uh, a half hour of rest, Taiwan played Japan with Guo Taiyuan pitching. A home run in the ninth sent Taiwan through. So over seven hours in total, that pitcher throwing 17 shutout innings in a day. Guo Taiyuan, amazing. And that's a good place to end our look at Taiwan baseball. And today, basketball has definitely won younger people's hearts, but it's still, you know, it's got a place in, in Taiwan. The professional baseball league is still operating, although we only have five teams and only one team in the South based in Tainan. But Eric, I think uh, we're getting a sixth team uh, in your city. Oh, right. Yeah. They're going to be called the Taigang Eagles. So Kaohsiung right now has two subway lines, the red line and the orange line. And we also have a light rail as of 2022, but a new MRT line is about to start construction and this yellow line when they open, it will go out to the Chenqing Lake Baseball Stadium in Niaosong District. This baseball stadium opened in 1999 and there's been four teams that have played there over the years, but these franchises either disbanded or moved away. The stadium in Niaosong is going to be refurbished and folks will hopefully soon be screaming, go Taigang Eagles there. All right, that sounds good. Book recommendation time. Three books, two from the University of Nebraska Press, Yu Junwei's Playing in Isolation, John Harney's Empire of Infields, and from the University of California Press, James Morris's Colonial Project National Game. And a film recommendation, the movie Kano. Thanks for listening to Formosa Files. I'm Eric Michael Smith. I'm John Ross. Bye. Bye. <laughs>